Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I was a bit shocked as well by the revelation from Jürgen. I don't know whether this is a personal admission, but he said, I have a short crisp bottom. So I, I thought there's a sort of limit to the information that we need here. Well, welcome back to the Bake Down podcast with me, Josh Landy, founder of Bake With A Legend, the company that gives you the chance to bake alongside former contestants from the Great British Bake Off. Now, as the bakers entered the tent this week, there were cries of how terrifying it was that this week, Caramel Week was all about surviving. And Noel told us that we could soon expect one of the most demanding showstoppers of all time. But I'm not convinced because Christelle seemed to make her sugar dome using a technique she never previously had used in a matter of minutes. But anyway, more about that later. Now, since last week, we've added even more classes into our festive range of virtual public classes. So if you are hoping to impress around the festive period, look no further. And some of these classes are starting to fill up already. So if you've been thinking about it, don't delay further. There really is something for everyone. Please head to bakewithalegend.com slash online classes to see more. And remember to use the code podcast to get 10% off. And so to this week's podcast, as we chat about how our bakers got on with their sharing size caramel tart, glorified Twix bars, and a visually spectacular caramel showstopper, including a sugar work dome. Enjoy the podcast. Keep your emails coming into the bakedown at bakewithalegend.com, and we'll see you again next Wednesday. Now, Howard, what did you make of the introduction to this week's show? There was a Caramel Gibson joke. Um, <laughs> did you enjoy the start of the show this week? I thought, yeah, it's, it was sweet. It was it was one of those where they've not not spent an awful lot on kind of props, but sometimes, uh, you know, you, you need that, actually. So, yeah, and I, I loved the little uh, Danny Oven glove. And now, Jane, Caramel Week... Would that have been one that you'd have been very excited for, no doubt? I'm thrilled. I mean, everybody who has watched my series knows how good I am at caramel. Um, never any problems at all or crystallisation or anything like that. So, yeah, I think this one was des- designed for me. I would say that it looks like they have better saucepans. Now, I know a bad workman blames his tools but we had some shocking saucepans um, and Mary Berry told me you should use a steel pan, not a non-stick pan. And we had some of those horrible pans. 
God, I think it would have been my disaster week. If I hadn't already gone home, I think I would have been going home this week. <laughs> it's my nightmare, isn't it? <laughs> Caramel. You could see, how there was a bit of fear as we saw comments from a couple of the uh, contestants. Lizzie, I think, referred to it as, as terrifying as we entered uh, Caramel Week. It, it felt like it was about survival. And as Jane always says, just uh, about making sure one person is, is worse than you in a week like this. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get onto it a bit later, but I think it was one of those occasions when the person who goes actually pulled out all the stops in the showstopper and still there wasn't anybody who was worse, which is awful, really. Yeah, it was a tough uh, a tough moment for George, but we will get to that, as you say. Now, Jane, did you get any deliveries in the post this week? Oh, I've left it downstairs. <laughs> yes, I did. Thank you, Josh, for my present. <laughs> yes, I got my Betty Crocker super moist cake mix, which was hilarious. It was knock on the door, my husband answered it, <laughs> and it came unwrapped. It just had a label from it was Amazon, wasn't it? over all the instructions at the back so I couldn't even see how can't even see how to make it I really do need to google it my husband said have you ordered a cake mix (laughs) (laughs) it made me laugh so much Josh and with my cold don't make me laugh too much because otherwise I'm a compliment yeah I can't wait to make it actually um, my daughter is staying with us at the moment and um she she went Oh, Mama, I hear Betty Crocker are very nice. So I think I might rustle it up for her before she goes back. Yes, thank you, Josh, for my present. Incredibly generous. A Christmas come early. <laughs> Somehow super moist doesn't sound as bad as ordinary moist. Somehow, I don't know why. <laughs> I could see they, they put a big sticker over the instructions. How yes, they? I can't see how to make it at all. I, I can see at the top... I've got to put some water in and I can't remember now because it's downstairs, but half a cup of oil or something and three eggs. I assume that's all I have to add. And I just whiz it all up and bake it as normal. But I will try Googling it. I tried pulling the label off and it pulled all the print off as well. So it's just a weird way to send a cake box, isn't it? And also, if the postman tells people locally that I'm getting Betty (laughs) post. Perhaps my reputation in town will be in tatters. <laughs> she doesn't make her own cake. She just sends off the Betty Crocker boxes. <laughs> yeah, people will have got the wrong idea, Jane, about all the posts that you put on social media and everything you did in the tent will be brought into question. Well, we do look forward to, to seeing you put that Betty Crocker super moist cake mix to good use and can't wait to, to see what you come up with. You do have plenty of, of classes though coming up and uh, of course for people that want to bake alongside well either of you there are many opportunities to do so in in the coming weeks Jane just before we started I mentioned how popular your your Christmas tree cake that you came up with is this one that you actually have baked yourself over the last few festive festive years no I first made it last year actually I had made a uh, Yule log and done some chocolate bark on it and then I thought oh this would make a nice upright cake so I just kind of brought together lots of things I'd done I'd made the little chocolate Christmas trees before and it was a happy accident that I shoved lots of good things together so it's for people who don't like a heavy Christmas cake Prue won't like it because it's quite black forest inside which I thought was quite a nice joke with the dark chocolate and the trees but it is absolutely delicious and the chocolate sponge I did take it up to the golf club when I was testing out the frosting without all the Christmas bits on the side 
it got scoffed and everybody really liked it and thought the sponge was very moist. So there we go, <laughs> without any Betty Crocker in sight. So yeah, do join me for that if you want to do an alternative Christmas cake. <laughs> uh, yeah, please do join. That is the 18th of December, a week before Christmas. That is at five o'clock and Jane's other couple of classes in that festive period. We have got donut class, which is taking place during the festival of Hanukkah. And the week prior on the 27th of November, Jane, you're doing your orange and spice chai latte cake. Lovely cake even if you don't decorate it for Christmas. So we're going to make it in the shape of a wreath and it is a delicious alternative to a Christmas cake. Nicely spiced without too much. And if you don't have a ring tin, you know, one with the hole in the middle, don't worry, grab a clean baked bean tin or something and you will be able to make this cake. So no really special equipment needed. No, I love this cake. It looks so pretty. Hopefully you will all like it too. Very festive. And again, completely away from the fruitcakes that some some love and some really don't like. So yeah, absolutely. We look forward to that. 27th of November, it does look brilliant. And Howard, just, just briefly, you've got these wonderful snowshoe men um, you're going to be teaching us. You, you better help me with the pronunciation of what we call these. Oh, uh, religious. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a uh, sort of nemesis for me. Not not well. It can't even be a nemesis because I didn't make it through to the week when religious were a technical challenge on Bake Off. But I thought I'll have a go at them myself and give them a bit of a festive twist. So yeah, so they're the, they've got little candied orange scarves and a chocolate orange creme diplomat in the in their tummies. Absolutely. And then the following week, Howard, you're doing the, the mini Stollen and, and Lebkuchen. Yeah, Lebkuchen and, and mini Stollen. Yeah, bit of a German sort of themed festive bake. Yeah. Yeah, we look forward to all of that. And I'm delighted to say that we have been joined by the brilliant Dan, which is fantastic timing because we have an email here addressed to you, Dan. It's from Claudia in Los Angeles. It says, just finished the recap of the bake down of episode six. Dan mentioned that George might have cheated slightly i don't know if you said cheated but um something like that might have cheated slightly by leaving his pastry showstopper on the tin i'm curious on your take dan brackets i adore you by the way and i enjoy your social media in the season year with manon whom i also adore the couch critics online were sort of upset when in the episode she had left the Acetate around her chocolate collar. Wouldn't that counter slightly cheating? She presented it as such to Paul and Prue, but it wasn't counted against her, even though some see it as a no-no. I didn't see it as such because the flavour seemed to have been hit regardless of that mishap. I don't know. I'm just curious, Dan, is it the same thing? Well, it's difficult for me to say because I really like Manon, so I would never accuse her of cheating. I think it was up to the judges how they took it, you know. Oh, I don't know. I didn't feel bad about that because I did fine that week. So if I'd done badly that week, I might have been upset about it and thought it wasn't very fair. But no, I did fine, so it didn't bother me. I thought that was okay. Oh I love my goodness, Manon. this isn't impartial judging. Damn. <laughs> you don't criticise people you like. And you do okay, nobody gets criticised. Hmm. Hang on, that implies I don't like George, which isn't very fair. So, oh, uh... oh, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to imply that. <laughs> <laughs> Howard, it... You know what? Do you, what do you reckon then on the on the take of this? Is is leaving something on a tin the same as potentially leaving something around the collar? I remember with, we did one bake where we were given the option of leaving it in the tin. It was an apple pie or, or fruit pie or something like that. You could leave it in the tin or take it out, and people agonised over it. Sometimes it's more pressure to decide whether to leave something in its tin or have an acetate collar around it or whatever. You, you lose the kind of ability to make a sensible 
judgment. That's the tent all over, isn't it? Mm. Mm. <laughs> um, well, there we go. I think effectively uh, the answer to your email, Claudia, is that if it's someone that Dan likes, it's absolutely fine. <laughs> and if it's someone that Dan's not sure about, then it's absolutely cheating and they can be removed immediately from the entire process. We are going to get stuck into this episode now, Caramel Week. And Jane, just start us off talking here about this signature, a sharing size caramel tart. We were looking for something highly decorative. And of course, the, the message here was caramel must be the star of the show. Oh, as, as always, whatever it is that's the theme for the week, if it's a flavour, it has to be the star of the show. I love caramel and in spite of all my many, many, many disasters in the tent, and I'm I'm sure they're still chipping that crystallized sugar off the pans that I wrecked. Perhaps that's why they've got new saucepans. It's a lovely challenge, isn't it? And what can be nicer than combining stuff with caramel and sticking it in a good pastry tart? A really, really nice challenge. I thought two and a half hours is a tough one because you've got lots of things to cool. Caramel is sugar and retains its heat really well. So it's it's quite a hard one. So, yeah, good challenge, I thought, for a, a signature. I, in spite of my lack of caramel expertise actually I'm quite good at it at home even though I do say myself and and as I would not filmed who's going to call me a liar but I would have liked to have done this I really would there's some lovely combinations of flavors uh, so yeah great challenge Howard just before we get on to the specifics of how our six bakers did just explain to us a little bit about the approaches that were taken because we, we had this uh, mention of wet caramel dry caramel we saw half of them in the freezer and sort of the other half were very stressed with timing at the end so just explain the two different approaches that yeah. seem to be taken Do you know i was confused by some of this i must admit because normally you can put the sugar in and if you're doing a dry caramel your sugar goes in you might add we've, we've said before about a little spot of lemon juice or a, a spot of water just to start it on its way but it's basically the sugar that you're taking until it begins to color a wet caramel you you are putting water in to, be, to begin with but there's lots of things about you know not stirring and I always if I'm doing a, a dry caramel leave it to kind of dissolve and to get its color swirl it a little bit but don't stir it but we seem to have lots of people sort of going in with spoons and all sorts so I, I was terribly confused by the approach. Well, you can stir, you can stir a dry caramel as long as you've got no water in it at all. That, that's actually not a problem at all, she says gaily. Um, caramel <laughs> <expert here. laughs> it's the wet caramels that you can't, you definitely can't stir, totally verboten. See, I've been brushing up on my German, Dan. <laughs> I'm very impressed. So, yeah, I, I stir my dry caramel all the time because the trouble is with a dry caramel, even if you've got it on a low temperature, is you're not sure what's going on underneath and it can burn a lot, lot faster than a wet caramel. So as soon as you get the slightest hint that it's going, you can give it a stir and it doesn't crystallise, she says gaily. But whereas wet caramels, oh my God, they're the ones that are really, really hard. I find the wet caramels almost impossible. You now do my tip of putting a lid on so the water, the condensation slides down so you don't have to do all that silly brushing down with the damp 
brush, hoping that you're not going to introduce anything you shouldn't. The only thing is you can, with a dry caramel, you've got to be really on it. You can't walk away and make a cup of tea, whereas a wet caramel, you do have a little bit more time to play with. From from the, the goddess of caramel, there we go, they're my words of wisdom. Go on, Dan, uh, you disagree. Well, I was, I was about to rib you for your caramel, Jane, but I know that now, of course, you're very, very good at it because you're mm. very practised at it. Yeah, I would say a dry caramel, superficially, like to a beginner, dry caramel seems easier because you're allowed to stir it. But I think it needs so much babysitting and you have to be so careful not to burn it. I think a wet caramel is actually easier. And I, I have to confess, Jane did teach me the tip about leaving the lid on the pan. And it's really good for two reasons. First of all, it stops the, as I said, it washes the crystals down the side of the pan. And also psychologically, it stops you from stirring it because uh, the amount of times people crystallize their caramels and they'll swear they haven't been stirring it ever. And, and they've literally got a spoon in the pan. And there was so much stirring going on. People were doing it in the nonstick pans, which isn't helpful either. Nobody had a lid on. I didn't see anyone adding any acid. So I was surprised that there weren't more mistakes in this one. I, some of them didn't come across like caramel experts. Yeah, I think that's probably that's probably fair, Dan. Well, well, Howard, the best name went from Lizzie, I'd have thought. My tart will go on a tribute to Celine Dion. But whose was the best actual bake here? Because I'm not sure Lizzie could take that title here. It was interesting, wasn't it? Because some looked beautiful. Giuseppe's looked really lovely. It didn't particularly look like a caramel tart but it looked really uh, really lovely cheats look lovely I quite fancied Christelle's actually that combination of uh, of apple I think she's got a jar of miso um, <laughs> because we also got miso in her dessert didn't we so we'll have to keep an eye out to see whether miso appears again yeah do you think she's sponsored by miso <laughs> <laughs> It's great PR for Miso because it's not a flavour you usually associate with, with the great British Bake Off. Lovely George, Jane, obviously ended up departing us. And from the signature uh, and the technical, he couldn't quite recover. Just explain what went wrong for him, maybe, in, in this signature, because he, he curdled his custard. He curdled his custard. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what went wrong. I mean, custard, you have to... You can't rush a custard and you have to stir all the time. And the temptation is always, and I know we've had it in classes, is you're tempted to just turn that temperature up a little bit. And then suddenly you've got a curdled custard or scrambled egg or something. So I don't quite know what he did. He would know that. I love the idea. Who doesn't like caramel and banana? It's your banoffee flavours, isn't it? So, you know, a, a, a real crowd pleaser. But, oh, bless him. I think it was described as looks like global warming in the arctic and it didn't have a huge amount of flavor so maybe he didn't take his caramel far enough to get that lovely slightly slightly burnt that's not the right really word to use but you know, i did feel sorry for him you know he, he was heading for a car crash wasn't he i think I think the yeah. word you were looking for was caramelised, Jane, not burnt. <laughs> was that the word? That's the word. Not, not slightly burnt. <laughs> caramelised. Listen, I've got a cold. I can be forgiven. Oh, my God, same. This is, sorry, oh. I, I was a little bit late today. Um, and, yeah, I have a cold for the first time in about two years. Mm. And I forgot mm. how awful it feels. Mm. It's absolutely dreadful. Anyway, I hope you feel better soon, Jane. Thank you. I hope you feel better too. Oh. And if anyone listening has got a cold, we wish you well <laughs> as well. And... Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> Anyone else who, uh, who we can pass on our, our good wishes to? Now, uh, Howard, just a, just a note on, on maybe uh, Jürgen here, because even Jürgen, who ended up, of course, getting the star Baker, there was a feedback here was, was almost a little bit disappointed. At the, I think it said not quite what was asked for, too, too chewy. Yes, and even more dramatic than that, it's going to rip every tooth out in my head. It's like, oh gosh, poor Paul. Yeah. Yes, I wonder if anyone's had that feedback and then ended up being given Star Baker <laughs> the following day. It's an un- unusual U-turn. I-, I think everyone there sort of, you know, had elements of feedback that probably wasn't perfect. And Jane, what did you make of, of Prue saying it's pure sugar, not something you eat every day? Oh, perhaps she doesn't. That's why she looks so gorgeous at her age, because she does look absolutely amazing. I, I aspire to be like her. I think lots of us probably do eat pure sugar every day, whether it's honey on your yogurt in the morning, if you're being good, or that sneaky toffee out of the drawer just before dinner because you're starving. <laughs> it just made me laugh. I mean, here we are in a baking show and the topic is caramel and she's saying we don't eat pure sugar every day. I think a lot of us probably do. Yeah, I thought, speak for yourself, love. I have a pot of salted caramel in my fridge, which is just uh, because I often have some leftover when I make it and I sometimes just walk past and eat a spoon of it straight out of the fridge. But you can have it over ice cream and you can warm it up and pour it over a dessert and it makes it elevates it um so yeah i i probably do eat caramel every day mm, i've got um, a, i've got that jar as well in the fridge Dan, and it, it's very you know when you're thinking oh, i'll just have a coffee oh look at the caramel milk <laughs> out mm. howard caramel every day no i go for healthier things like cheese and butter and things <laughs> absolutely well uh, you know at least prue i guess trying to put in a message there of uh, some elements of restraint maybe she could have just you know suggested five days a week rather than rather than all seven but it was good to get her take on it we move on of course to the technical challenge and whilst they couldn't call this a twix i think we're all fairly safe to to do so howard if you don't have caramel every day how often are you having a twix do you know, it's awful, isn't it? Because I'm not a great biscuit person in any case. So I can't remember the last time I had a Twix. It must be years, absolutely years since I had anything like this. Well, I, I um, sent Jane her super moist cake mix. So I know what I'm sending you this week, Howard. Send me a, a Twix. Twix. <laughs> <laughs> so that you can have one and reflect that you're missing out on all these years. Dan, surely like me, you, you enjoy the occasional Twix bar. Well, no, because a millionaire shortbread is the same thing. A Twix is just a millionaire shortbread, and I make millionaire shortbread all the time, so I have no occasion to buy a Twix. There's absolutely no need for it. But I do like the flavours, but I just it's just not so... I don't buy chocolate bars. I'm too old for that. Do your children get chocolate bars, or they only get McDonald's? After lockdown, they get a lot of apples because daddy was very irresponsible during lockdown and gave them all, in order to not eat my own bakes, I gave them all to my children. Uh, so no, they're back on the fruit now. I'm a little bit more careful with what I give them. Jane, any interest in the occasional Twix bar? No, I, Twix was never um, something I liked. If faced with the confectionery counter, it would not have been a Twix that I would have picked up. So I don't think I've had one for years either. Uh, however, mm. I wouldn't mind making one. Uh, I'd thought it was a nice challenge I wasn't quite sure how they were going to get that caramel in there so it's a little bit of I've never thought about it to be honest so it's a bit of an eye-opener so Jane whilst you're not a fan of the traditional Twix bar would you have enjoyed making this and, and what's the hardest 
part here. Is it making sure your caramel is sort of liquid enough to be pipeable or what do you think the biggest challenge is? Yes, I think it's getting that caramel the right texture because obviously if it's too runny, it's it's not going to stay in place. And that's always a problem with the caramel. I think we had to get it much the same way as we would in a millionaire shortbread. So it's firm enough to keep its shape, but isn't too chewy because the last thing you want to do is be crunching into a, a bar of toffee and shortbread. So I think that that was the issue. But I think a lot of them had issue with their shortbread. Wasn't it all, you know, a lot of them are saying it was soggy, the, the shortbread. So maybe they didn't take it too far. But they were baking it in a quite a deep tin, weren't they? I wouldn't bake a biscuit in a deep tin. Why, why would you bake it in one so deep? I don't know. Perhaps they didn't have one the right size, a smaller, shallower one. But it's very hard to get to the top of a biscuit but there's a lot of moisture coming up out of it and it's got to clear the sides of those tins. Maybe that was giving them a problem, but they all seem to have problems. Soft biscuit, rubbery biscuit, biscuit soggy. And I think part they can all make a shortbread. I have absolutely no doubt they can all make shortbread. And I think perhaps the tin was giving them a bit of a problem. Howard, we saw some incredibly neat ruler work, didn't we, from Giuseppe when he was uh, measuring out his 1.8 centimetres. and Perhaps it wasn't too much of a surprise to see a Giuseppe Jurgen one-two in the uh, in the ratings here. Yeah, and I thought it was a bit unfair that Paul said I wouldn't clap because he was basically saying that that none of them were were up to scratch. Giuseppe's and uh, Jurgen's look look pretty neat. So yeah, Dan, what did you make of, of this? How do you think you would have fared with my current level of experience of making millionaire shortbread? I think I would have done pretty well, actually. I think most of them, when they were talking about baking the shortbread, a lot of them were saying sort of ten to fifteen minutes. My shortbread, even if it's thin, usually takes eighteen to twenty. So I think maybe they just un- criminally underbaked it. I think there was a lot of confusion about how far to set the caramel. I don't, I haven't read the recipe like Howard, I think has a copy of it, but my instinct would have been to have taken the caramel to a softball stage. So about 116, 118 Celsius. I don't know how many of them knew what temperature to take it to. But actually my main takeaway from this challenge was listening to Jürgen at the start, who said the shop bought thing is perfect. So there's no point making it. And I just thought, get in the bin, Jürgen. Like, this is Shades of Amanda from week two. And I just don't think this is appropriate. And I just think, you know, Jürgen, the thing is, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) I used to use that on my children. It worked really well, disappointment (laughs) rather than anger. Do you think Jürgen Jürgen cares? (laughs) I I mean, he's always been good, but I think he's really sort of separating himself from the pack. We've been talking about Giuseppe and, and Jürgen at the top and I think it's looking like Jürgen at the top now isn't it no, I disagree <gasps> of course we just had a slight slight setback for Giuseppe this week just a slight one but no Giuseppe's still up there like, I don't suppose Giuseppe cares one way or another but um... <laughs> <laughs> it's still a comfortable top two just give us a, a word here Howard on, on George because by the end of this challenge it seemed and so it proved that whatever he really did the following day it probably wasn't going to be enough to turn it around. Yeah, somebody was going to have to have an absolutely disastrous showstopper in order to to help him. Or we'll not turn uh, up. That that yes, was also... that would be, that yes. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, to, to be perfectly honest, I felt this was one of those weeks where if someone had been ill, 
and they would have said, well, right, nobody's going home this week. I, I think that would have felt fair, but unfortunately, or fortunately, nobody was ill. I felt oh, no. so sorry for George, though. I mean, he just looked so sort of sad and frightened. And uh, I just wanted to go up to him, give him a hug, you know, ruffle his hair and tell him he was doing a good job and everything is going to be OK. <laughs> yes. He doesn't have any hair. He doesn't have any hair. Ruffle no. <laughs> no, him and Matt Lucas um, could definitely share a comb, as I think was, was mentioned at some point in, in this episode. I mean, to give a footballing analogy here, and, and listeners will know that I do like my football, we had the Manchester United-Liverpool match very recently and Liverpool were 4-0 up at at half time and it felt like coming out for the second half trying to just restore some pride because you probably weren't going to be able to win the game and I think George was saying that he just wanted to deliver a good showstopper just to at least leave on a more positive note if he if he was to leave and so the results of a technical challenge were Giuseppe first, Jürgen second, Chiggs third, Christelle fourth, Lizzie fifth, and George, as we just mentioned, down in six. Now, Dan, did you spot something else you wanted to raise it? Oh, well, it's nothing to do with the baking. Um, it was just one part that, you know, I've got a slightly wicked sense of humour. And just one of the parts of the show that I really enjoyed was Noel just walking around the tent, reading all the contestants to filth. And he said, uh, just walking up to them and saying, Giuseppe, Al Pacino, if he was on the Guess Who board... Chigs, Lumberjack, Robert De Niro, serial killer. And my favourite was Jürgen, cross between the main puppet from Labyrinth and the League of Gentlemen. And just Jürgen's face when he said that absolutely cracked me up. And of course, Lizzie, Princess Leia, dressed as a children's bullfighter. And, uh, I just thought they were so on point and so funny. And I was just cackling to myself. And I'm just slightly sad that we missed out on what he said about George and Christelle. But yeah, I did it. Yeah, I just, oh, they just absolutely tickled me. I was really, uh, that really amused me. They were entertaining, I thought, both uh, Matt and, and Noel this week. I think we saw the most enjoyable timekeeping message that was given when Matt Lucas was interrupting, saying, You are halfway through, telling them you are halfway through. Thought that was uh, one of the, the best ones, and of course, did did they get Giuseppe during the technical to say that they were halfway through in Italian? You could have done it in German, Dan, had you been there. <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't you ribbing Howard? This isn't fair. He did German too. You got the A grade that you were telling us, so you'd have been put forward to to do your German. Um, no, it's it's good to see that they are being inventive with how they tell each other how much time is left. Now, on to the showstopper, and it was billed at the very start of the show as perhaps being one of the most demanding of all time. Was that the case, Jane? Was this one of the most demanding of all time? I'm not sure, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I must admit, when they announced what it was, I thought, no, oh, it just sounds it just sounds like the signature without pastry. And so I, thought, I couldn't have thought of two slightly different challenges. And they dug out the old sugar dome which I think they did on a Christmas or New Year's special two or three years ago and they were making snow domes but so they have made those before and Isomalt actually is incredibly well behaved. Christelle had trouble with her mould but the old balloon method for something like this is very good and the nice thing about Isomalt which I don't use very often because it's quite expensive but it's already you buy it already tempered and if it goes cloudy you just heat it so you just get a blowtorch or something and go over it 
obviously not so hard or close that you melt it. You just run a bit of heat over it and briefly the isomalt then clears. So I don't know whether, I mean, it will go cloudy again. So if you leave it in your kitchen for a couple of days and the moisture gets to it, it will go slightly cloudy, but they should have been able to get it clearer than some of them did. So apart from Jürgen, who chucks everything and the kitchen sink at it, and actually it had a spectacular result, I thought, especially with the clear dome. I don't think it was the toughest one they've had to do. They could choose how many layers, they could decide what they wanted to do. And then, as Christelle proved, you can make your dome in the last seven minutes. So, yeah, but of course, Paul's going to build it up into one of the most hardest, most complicated challenges ever. I think he was just using a bit of, sort of artistic license for drama purposes, I thought. Well, I wanted to raise that, Howard, this complications that came with a sugar dome. And yet we seem to see Christelle trying something she had seemingly not tried before in the final seven or eight minutes of a four and a half hour challenge. And ultimately coming up with, with something, you know, that, that seemed to work. But the question here, I guess, is, you know, w- would she have done it but for the help of other bakers? And it didn't seem like she would have done, Howard. I think she'd had a few goes at it, hadn't she, as well? So I think this was, they were saying this was the seventh attempt that she'd had. Uh, it was the first one, I think, or it looked like the first one, where she was using the, the balloon method. But yeah, I suppose this is one of those occasions where you do see people taking a couple of different approaches and you think, right, I've tried my best with the approach that I've I've used. I might as well have a go at the uh, the other way of doing it. Dan, how much credit should we give George for going against the grain and not using isomalt here? But, um, you know, that seemed to get a lot of kudos with Paul. Well... Isomalt is like the fondant of sugar work. Like it's easy to work with, but it doesn't taste good. It's sort of an invert syrup and it loses a lot of the sweetness. It's not pleasant. You wouldn't want to eat it. You can create lots of fun shapes with isomalt, but you just, you know, take off the cake and put it to the side. Doing it with sugar is more difficult. It was lovely and clear, but I didn't think it was really going to help him because at the end of the day, it's a TV show and what it looks like is kind of super important. And I think I don't, think that that would have won him many points even though it was harder and it would win him points with me poor old George I think it came out looking really nice it was he the one that had the honeycomb underneath it was that George's Mm, yeah I thought it looked really pretty I probably wouldn't have come up with anything that looked better than that well Dan do you think he did scale back we 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 heard this phrase so I was wondering if he sort of a had his confidence affected by the previous day because he, he seemed to scale back in some way I don't know. I mean, I had uh, a George moment in my season where I just ruined the first two challenges and I went into the showstopper, you know, questioning if I should scale back or not. And ultimately, I decided just to stick with the plan and not to scale back. But that turned out to be didn't work for me anyway. So um, I I don't know. He said he scaled back a little bit and I think he just wanted to deliver something solid. I think if you know, if you've wrecked the first two challenges, you kind of know you're going home anyway. Because the situation I was in, the only way I was going to stay was if Manon messed up spectacularly and I didn't want to like that's I didn't you don't want to hope for anyone to mess up like that's such an ugly way to think and I think we all just just want to do our best and even though we know that we're probably going to go home anyway we just want to do our best and I think he I think he did that actually I think he did a good job and I think he can be proud of his showstopper yeah I I agree with you 
Howard, when you were on the show, did Mel and Sue ever go rummaging through your suitcase and start bringing some of your clothes into the Bake Off tent? <laughs> that was an unusual moment. Oh, that, that was awful, wasn't it? I mean, it, it was funny, but I mean, the, the fact that Noel said, you, you're not going anywhere, here, here I've unpacked your suitcase, and of course he does end up going, just makes it worse, doesn't it? And the fact he was wearing his underpants as well, I think that's quite personal. <laughs> Uh, James, whose did you like here? I mean, Jürgen, of course, looked like the standout one. Jürgen's looked pretty amazing, didn't it? I mean, the fact that he made lady fingers, which we do in our tiramisu class, which I think I'm doing again in January for those of you who want to join us. Yeah, I did. I mean, 107 steps on his list. I mean, just for the number of steps. I think he deserved to get Star Baker. It did look spectacular and, and all the layers once it was cut, it just looked better and better and better. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, the dome was clear apart from that little ridge around it, around the bottom. I thought it was, I thought it was fantastic. George's actually, I didn't like the sound of because he was sticking buttercream in it. I think that was all just, I agree with Paul about that one. But I think Chigs, I liked the idea of a pecan d'aquoise. I've never made a pecan d'aquoise. I think I'm going to have to do that. A chocolate pecan ganache, a pecan caramel. I think they've got a job lot of caram- uh, pecans here. I thought Chicks sounded nice and a coffee mascarpone cream, which would have complemented the caramel really nicely. It may have, as Paul or Prue said, looks a mess and the, the dome was very misty, but I like the, I like the sound of those flavours. I think that sounded a cracking combination. On the subject of flavours, when I was in the tent, uh, one week I made my signature and showstopper both had orange in and Paul gave me a bit of grief about it and sort of said like, you know, why don't you come up with some new ideas, Dan? Uh, I don't think that that part actually made it to air. But for Giuseppe's signature, he did apricot and hazelnut. And then for his showstopper, he did apricot and hazelnut. And I just thought, what? Why is no one saying anything about that? Because that's, I mean, I like apricot and hazelnut, but I wouldn't have been brave enough to have sort of basically just replicated my, my signature and showstopper flavours. I mean, I think he had a couple of extra things in. I just thought that was a little bit uninspired. I agree. And, and salt, uh, miso caramel again. Again, miso caramel uh, from Christelle. They, oh, they do make miso caramel on, you see it on MasterChef. Uh, MasterChef Australia, which is a great show, actually. And they often make miso caramel and everybody goes, it's groundbreaking, except for people who've been making it for years now. Yeah, so yeah, they did repeat quite a lot. But then they'd repeated the challenge, I felt. Just stuck yes. a dome on top. So yes, but... yes, not not Jane's favourite challenge here for not being different enough to the signature, and you can understand. And I, I think other people online were, were saying similar. Um, Howard, just a moment on on Lizzie, because she went for a different approach. Hers, of course, was upside down, and she supposedly gave us finesse, and perhaps not the substance. Yeah, exactly. I I, I think she definitely got finesse from the outside. They said she'd been very brave, never had anything like it before, just a bit stodgy, yeah, which is, is disappointing. But it, it was basically a trifle bowl without without custard. I, I was a bit shocked as well by the revelation from Jürgen. I don't know whether this was a personal admission, but he said, I have a short crust bottom. So I, <laughs> I thought there's, there's a sort of limit to the information that we need, yes. <laughs> Dan, what did you make of Chiggs's? Well, to be honest, it's less about what Chiggs made and just something he said that just really tickled me. Um, He said, this is the weirdest thing I've ever done is drying a balloon. And I just thought, 
Jigs, we should go for a drink. If you think that's weird, I've got some stories for you, my friend. Um, <laughs> I, I maybe won't share them on the podcast, but I've got a lot weirder stories than that. I love the idea of, of you two getting for a drink. Maybe we'll record it as a podcast after Definitely. this current series finishes. It's Dan interviews other former Bake Off contestants about the weirdest things they have done inside or outside of baking. I would look forward to that. Now we come to Judge Jane, the point in the show where we discuss if the right decisions were made. Jane, what did you make of Star Baker going to Jürgen and and George sadly departing? Well, Star Baker, I don't think it could have been anybody else. I don't think anybody came close to Jürgen in the showstopper. And he was far enough up there in the other two challenges. So I think yeah, it had to be Jürgen Starbaker, didn't it? It was the one I probably wanted to eat because when it was sliced, it looked gorgeous. So as much as so as much as I thought that Christelle and Giuseppe probably did an okay job. I mean really their showstoppers let them down. Too much gelatin for both of them. Really gooey, elasticy looking things when they cut. So yeah, very happy with Jürgen getting Starbaker. I don't think it could have been anything else. And George, well, as we said earlier, you know, he really, really had to do incredibly well and probably somebody else had to have a complete disaster for George to go through. I'm so sorry for him because he did look like he was quite upset all the way through, didn't he? And, and a bit bemused by it all. And did you say you wanted to give him a hug, Dan? Yes, I probably wanted to give him a hug. He probably was one of the weakest bakers coming up to this episode. I could see him going out either this week or next week. It's just very sad. It's sad to see them all go because I love them all. And the the longer it goes on in the tent, the more you love them. Um, So I was very sorry to see George go, but sadly, it was absolutely the right decision. Howard, were you equally sad to see George go? And what did you make of Starbaker heading to Jürgen? Because as we saw them at the table before they went back in and told the bakers the results, they were implying that there was there was some element of potentially all four of them that weren't George or Lizzie that could have been up for a contention. I think I said earlier, it, it was just one of those weeks where you pull out all the stops in the in the showstopper and it's still not enough because there's nobody who's performed worse than you. And I think to a certain degree, it was the opposite for Jürgen. So I think there were other people who had, be, who had performed pretty well in some of the earlier tasks, but his showstopper just kind of overshadowed the fact that he hadn't done quite so well in the signature bake. So, yeah, I think it was it was tight, but in the end, uh, the right decision. And the third star baker of the series, Dan, to Jürgen. Yeah, he's uh, definitely pulling away as the front runner, isn't he? I mean, I think he always kind of was. But, yeah, it's nice to, nice to see him returning to form. I think that showstopper was amazing. Definitely, definitely, you know, won it for him. Uh, the signature I thought was really um, disappointing for him. Uh, you know, I think if, the, as I've said before, if the texture of something is bad, it's very, very hard to enjoy it. So I think the signature was a bit of a disaster. But yeah, that, there's no arguing with that showstopper. I think he did brilliantly in that. And yeah, with regards to George, I think, yes, it's unquestionably the right decision. He just looked like he'd given up from the start, I think. And I think that's uh, absolutely fatal 
not only in Bake Off, but in many things in life. And he did just sort of look like he'd, he'd kind of resigned to his fate. But I will miss George. I've enjoyed George in the tent and we'll see him at the final, I guess. Uh, but uh, he, he will be missed. We hope that they come back for the final. I'm not quite sure what happened with the COVID situation if if they return, but we will see when we get to that point in the series. We should remember that Peter, of course, only had two star bakers going into the final last year, the year before. David had not had a single star baker before heading into the final up against Alice and Steph. And, and the year before that, Rahul had had star bakers in week two and three before going uh, going on to become the winner. So to have three is particularly impressive, especially after just seven weeks. So it does look ominous for the rest of the competition. Well, we will see because one of the things I've noticed is people who win Star Baker a lot don't tend to win. So that's really, I mean, statistically, I'm like, I still think he's the favourite, uh, but like Richard had five Star Bakers and didn't win. Steph had four Star Bakers and didn't win. So um, we shall see. I think, I feel like the way the editing is setting it up, it's either Jurgen's to win or there's going to be an upset at the finish line. So we shall see. Yeah, I think Giuseppe and Christelle, probably in most people's opinion, that the next two. It's time in the podcast for Howard's Hump. Howard, a lot of people enjoy this part of the podcast. I'm sure you won't let us down this week. What have you got for us? I've got two things. I've got a hump and I've also got something that just freaked me out a little bit. So I'll go to that one first. So Giuseppe, when he was doing the technical challenge, said you get better control if you do it by hand, which was not a double entendre, I'm assured. But at the time that he's telling us that he's going to make a shortbread by hand, in the background, his, his mixer is, is on. And there doesn't appear to be anything in it. So it's just like, why is your mixer going round and round with nothing in it? So have, have a look at that. Also in the technical challenge, Noel announced it and said, you have an hour and a half, which doesn't seem like long enough to me. And to be perfectly honest, it's not. So looking back in the book, uh, the recipe for Paul's fingers, at one point it says, Paul's fingers, sorry. Uh, at one point you leave the caramel for about an hour to cool down. So basically if you're leaving the caramel for about an hour, we've got half an hour now to do everything else, including five minutes cooling time for the chocolate and so on. So quite frankly, if you are going to set a technical challenge and then say at the end, don't clap because everybody's done poorly, actually give them enough time to do it in the first place. Yeah, that's pretty egregious, actually, because then, well, what would they have had to done? Made the caramel first and then made the shortbread afterwards? in order to get it done in time? It's just not enough time, is it? It's not enough time, no. Some humps and some confusion from <laughs> Howard there. It didn't disappoint. So thank you so much for that, for Howard. And of course, thank you to uh, everyone for, for listening to this podcast and those of you that have been kind enough to leave a review online. We hugely appreciate and we've loved seeing so many of you at our classes. Howard, there are a few spaces left for your Spotted Dick Custard and Sponge Puddings class coming up at the weekend. We're very much looking forward to that. Spotted Dick, I mean, that's one that would make the children laugh in, in, the, in the classroom, I guess. Yeah, I, and I love the fact, I don't know if it's on the invite that's gone out, but certainly when I got the recipe the other day, it's somehow got a comma between Spotted and Dick, as if we're making Spotted and Dick <laughs> and, and two sponge puddings. So, yeah, yeah. So that, I, I, people might be disappointed. <laughs> 
<laughs> I suspect that is a typo that could probably be due with, with some clearing up. We don't want to disappoint people when they come to our classes by thinking they're they're coming to attend um, something else. Um, and Dan, you've got plenty coming up as as well. We know we've got your Paris breast class to catch here and ciabatta breadsticks, the cognac and spice Christmas biscuits. The Bouche de Noël is is back on on two occasions, so we're we're very much looking forward to uh, to seeing many many people joining us for that again. And of course, the Princess Tartar, so popular was it that there's now a third date in January. Yeah, it's exciting about that one. You know, I think there's only a few spaces left for pretty much all the classes in the run to Christmas now. But yeah, we have opened another uh, Princess Tartar class. Um, I did a webinar the other week, and as we were. Uh, recording it the class the remaining class filled up had quite a few people contact me asking to do another one I've after having about 15 attempts at it I've really got the hang of this one now so uh yeah it's a really good class if you if you ever wanted to learn to make one you know take it from a guy who not only is quite a good baker but also took about 15 attempts to get it right I know how to do it now so uh yeah come join us I'll teach you how fantastic well look thank you so much to to Dan to Howard and to Jane for being with us once again, only three episodes left until we get to Dan's special series of podcasts where he interviews former Bake Off contestants about the strangest and weirdest things they've ever done in their lives. Something to look forward to at least after the series. So thank you to Howard, Dan and Jane, and we will see you again next Wednesday. just heard a stripped media production.